0: Good morning, my name is Stevens, and I am uh, the pastor of student ministry uh, here at Brexley Alliance Church. I came across uh, this story about Hal Nijviki, who uh, wrote an article in the New York Times and reflected on social media sites, especially Facebook. He was all excited because shortly after uh, creating a Facebook account, he ended up having 700 friends. Right? So he thought of himself he was pretty cool that he got all his friends all around the world and all that kind of stuff. Yet he was fairly busy. He had a young child, um, and he realized that he had less friends in the flesh that he actually had on Facebook. So he thought that he would throw out a, a, a party, and he would invite all of his Facebook friends to his party. So he sent out 700 invitations. Okay, and on the night of the party, um, he went to local. Like he got ready, you know, put on his favorite perfume and favorite shirt and all that kind of stuff. He got ready. He goes to the local bar, and he's waiting. And he's waiting, and he's waiting, and eventually one person shows up that he actually doesn't know because it's a friend of a friend, right? Um, And they end up making small talk. She leaves, and he waits, and he waits, and he waits, and he was there till midnight, and not one person showed up. And whenever part of me was like, "Man, is it real? Is this what we've come down to when it comes to friendship?" And reality is, when you look at friendships, they could be classified in three main categories. If you have your uh, notes that are inside of your bulletin, please pull them out. Every time that you'll see a word that's underlined, it means that it's supposed to be going in uh, your notes. So the first a circle that we have is a circle of concern. And this is people that you're concerned about. You know, if something were to happen to them, yeah, you might be concerned. And I'm guessing most uh, of your Facebook friends actually may not even make that list. But if if they make it, they probably fit in that category, circle of concern. And then uh, we have a circle of influence. And those are people uh, that we can have an influence on. Those are people that are close enough that may have an influence on us. And lastly, we have a circle of intimacy. And usually in that circle, we have a few people, probably two or three. If you have a a spouse, your spouse probably fits into that circle. But it's just a circle of deep intimacy where you're fairly open with that person. And today we want to examine what a, a friendship in the Bible where this kind of deep intimacy is displayed. And if you're a guest, if you're here uh, for the first time today, this one, take a look at what uh, this true biblical friendship looks like. And I want to apologize on behalf of my brothers and sisters, because we haven't always displayed this kind of friendship. That being said, my parents, that as we uh, look into the, the story of Jonathan and David today, that you will get a glimpse of what a biblical friendship looks like. Not only that, but for us, for those of us who are part of the family of Christ, that we will learn to display this kind of friendship. So if you have your Bible, uh, pull it open in 1 Samuel 23, verse 15 to 18. First Samuel 23, uh, verse 15 to 18. See, the friendship between uh, Jonathan and David had all the cards stacked against it. David uh, was lonely, and at this point of his life, he was totally on the run. See, David had this story where, uh, where Samuel came and anointed him as king, and he knew that eventually he would be the king of, of Israel. But for now, he's, he's a nobody. He's a simple musician. He's part, he's actually a servant to King Saul. And whether you're familiar or not with your Bible, you probably heard the story of uh, David and Goliath, where uh, David took a slingshot, you know, a few, uh, one stone actually, right in between the eye of, of Goliath, and boom, he fell, and all of Israel was all excited, and all, cre- uh, all cried, Horay, hooray, hooray, hooray. And as we were coming back from uh, this uh, big this this exciting exciting victory people were starting to cheer David 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 and and King Saul probably heard some of those cheers like what's going on here and people were cheering louder David 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 and how do you think David um, King Saul felt Probably wasn't too happy probably was definitely jealous right like who is this guy this is just a young kid. Exactly. The Bible tells that he was a youth, just a young kid, and people are saying that David, a king, is 10,000. And, I mean, yes, Saul was okay, he a king of 1,000, but David, uh, um, David killed uh, 10,000. And from that day on, King Saul was on a mission to actually make sure that David existed no more. There was a nationwide uh, warrant from, for David. On every street corner, every well, every camel had a poster of David, one to David, big reward and everything. And this is where we get to our text. In 1 Samuel we'll, uh, 23, sorry, we'll read uh, from verse 15. David saw that King Saul had come out to seek his life. I mean, he probably saw all the posters, probably saw it over Facebook. It was all over 16 news. But David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And The text seems to be suggesting that um, David was at a particularly low point of his life. His location was uh, pretty depressing. It was in the desert, in the middle of nowhere. His circumstances were depressing, and it's in the midst of this hurting phase, of a hurting stage, in the midst of this depression that Jonathan was present. Jonathan was present in the life of David. Verse sixteen says that Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horus. And the first characteristic of a, a true biblical friendship is somebody who is present, especially when things aren't uh, going too well. See, it was quite a trek for um, for Jonathan to go see David. It was, the, it was about fifty kilometers, which is pretty much from here to either Burlington or to Ajax, or from, we'd rather go up north to Bradford. It was not just he didn't just happen to be there; he was intentional about it. And sometimes to be present for a friends in times of need, it is inconvenient. It doesn't just happen. Yet Jonathan knew that he had to be there for his friend when he needed him the most. I played um, ice hockey. I played ice hockey all my life. and I remember when I was uh, younger, I'm, I'm an ice hockey, I, I played goalie, and uh, when you start the game, the guys do the warm-up, they kind of shoot pets at you. and during the warm-up, I could care less about the guys shooting pets at me, because I was cutting the crowd and looking at my dad, looking for my dad. Right? And as soon as I find the black spot, because usually there aren't too many black people in the hockey game. So as soon as I find the black spot, you know, I saw my dad there, and I was ready. You can guess, could fire with all the shots you want, because I knew that my dad was present for me. The Bible talks about uh, Brother Job, who was going through a hard time in his life. He lost pretty much everything, his family, everything that he possessed. And his friends came to him, and they were present. For a week, they didn't say anything. They were just there. They were present for him. Actually, as soon as they started opening their mouth, everything went downhill from there. But they were present. And you want to know who your real friends are? They are the people that are present when you need them. I remember a few years ago, um, I was in the hospital. I had an infection that nearly uh, took my life. And the morning of the surgery, they were getting me ready to go into the OR. And I was alone. There was nobody there. And I started to have like a little tear coming down my eye because I was a little bit afraid. And who shows up in the hospital room? Pastor Wayne with his Bible. And he didn't stay out for too long. Probably stayed like less than five minutes prayed for me. And he was on his way to come here to church. He was present for me. Then after the surgery, uh, he brought him back into my room and my family was there. And who shows up in the hospital room? Mark Daniel. He was probably in grade 10 at the time. Yet he was present for me. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have somebody who is present for you in a time of need? Better yet, are you that friend? Are you the friend that the friend you're looking for is looking for? I took that phrase from Andy Stanley who uh, spoke a sermon, uh, a message on relationships. And often when we uh, look for relationships, we're looking for somebody who is, you know, uh, godly and this and that and whatnot. He says, are you that kind of person? If we're looking for that kind of person, are you that kind of person? If somebody is looking for that, are you that person? So let me ask you this. Are you the friend that the friend you're looking for is looking for? Are you the friend who is there for your other friends in times of need? See, Jonathan risked his life for, for, for David. And when he came, he didn't just say, oh man, you know, too bad for your life, sex. No, the Bible tells us that he pushed him towards God. Second point, he pushed him towards God. He went and he strengthened his hand in God. See, he didn't talk about the gray cup, or he didn't talk about the stock market, or he didn't, you know, like, ask him, bring him shopping, to trying to get the change. Like, no, the Bible tells us he encouraged them by strengthening his hand in God. And I like that the Bible doesn't, doesn't tell us how he did it. It doesn't tell us, you know, if he read or if he sang a song, because sometimes he, if that's what he told us specifically, that's what we'd all do. It doesn't tell us, but um, I'd like to think that there's a variety of ways that we can do that. That we can strengthen other peoples in God. I mean, He had a long commute, right? Like He it probably took him a couple of hours to get to where David was. And I have to think—I mean, it's not in the Bible—but I have to think that during that time, He was probably asking like, "God, I'm going to see David. I know that David's uh, going through a hard time. God, what? How can I encourage him? How can I strengthen him? Some of you guys have long commutes to go to work. Maybe this is a good habit to have—to ask God as your community, God, today I'm, I'm going to meet so and so and so. How can I be a blessing? How can I strengthen? How can I encourage them? And I find in my life that often I will push others towards God by what, by what God is telling me. As I spend time with God, God is giving me a verse that's usually for myself, but then it's applicable to a friend, of, a friend or somebody that I'm meeting. And Stephanie, uh, this week, uh, on Tuesday, Pastor Allen came and he was sharing with the rest of the staff how um, he was reading through the book of uh, Nahum, and he really felt that in Nahum 1.23 it says that, God, um, I will afflict you no more. And he really felt that God was speaking that to him. Once he wanted to seize that promise, saying that, you know, he really believes that God is going to heal. So I actually invite you to come and pray for Brother Wiseman. And as he was sharing that with his, uh, with his wife, his wife said the same thing. like, said, you know, as I was walking to, to work today, I really had this sense that God was going to heal you. And he came and shared it. And was another staff member that had the same sense. And that morning, I happened to read in Luke chapter 6, where it says that the power of the Lord was on Jesus to heal people. So I prayed with faith for Brother Wiseman, not just in God, God, if this your will, maybe. No, no, I prayed with faith because this is what God was telling me that day. I pushed him towards God. And if we're to ask you, what are some ways that we can push one another towards God? What are some ways that we can push one another towards God? Talk to me. If I'm asking a question, I'm expecting some response. So talk to me. What are some ways that we could push one another towards Just put your hand up and I'll point at you. Yes, Michelle. Ask questions. Ask questions. Yeah. Ask good questions. Totally. Anybody else? Challenge your friends. Totally. We'll get to that in just a second. Did you listen to sermon already, girlfriends? But we'll get to that in a second. Yes. Margarita. Share scripture with them. Totally. What's some other ways? Listen. listen. Totally. I saw a few hands there. Yeah. What was that? Oh, isn't that cute? The couple said it the exact same thing, the exact same thing. They was like, oh. Sorry, I say, what did you guys say? Pray together, Pray together totally. Yeah, one last person. Yeah. Remind them, that God has never them. Remind them that God has never failed them. Those are all great ways that we can strengthen, that we could push one another towards God. I was, I was sharing this message with, uh, part of this message with their senior high. One group decided to create a Facebook page where they would hold each other accountable for their scripture reading. You know, uh, Mark and I have this thing where we'll push each other towards God, where we'll share worship songs together. He'll, say, he'll, he'll come down to my office like, Stevens, you know, I've heard this worship, you have to listen to it. And I'll go to, up to his office and I'm like, Mark, you have to listen to this worship song. And we'll Actually, we usually jam in my office because he's next to Pastor Sunder, so we don't want to make too much noise. But we'll go downstairs and we'll totally have this worship session because we, we strengthen, we push one another towards God by the songs that we listen to. And sometimes I'm, I'm disappointed that um, it seems that we can talk about anything. You no, know, we'll come out of the service, we'll talk about whatever. Yet we can't talk about what God is doing in our lives. And I wonder why. Why is it that it's so hard to share about what God is doing? When I asked this question to your senior high, one gentleman, actually, Sam Aguin, is brilliant gentleman. Actually, he was. He said two things which really gave me insight. Can I share, Sam? Is that okay? He gave me his authorization so he knows that I'm about to share. So Sam said two things that I, I really thought were key. He said, one is, if if I haven't spent time with God, I don't want to go out and share with everybody, hey, this no. Right? Because then you're embarrassed, you're shameful, which causes you to question where you're at with God. And then the other thing he said is like, if I'm not living, or if I'm living a life of sin, if I'm dating behind my parents' back and all that kind of stuff, I don't want to come out and share. So often this lack of, of wanting to be open of where we're at spiritually may be a symptom of something deeper. And if you're at a point where you, you can not strengthen, when you can't open up, I, I encourage you to, to ask yourself, why is it? Because when it happens, brothers and sisters, it's, it's beautiful, it's amazing to see what happens. About a month, from the, uh, a month ago, we were away at the um, Young Adults Retreat. Led by Pastor Wiseman, it was just a powerful weekend of young adults in this church praying for one another, strengthening one another, challenging one another, speaking truth to one another. It was so beautiful when it was happening, my brothers and sisters. This is a picture of what the church is supposed to be like. People are there to speak truth, to encourage, and to push one another towards God. Now, when you look at at your circle of friendships, like are your friends? Pushing you closer to God or are they pushing you away from God? Think about like the, the people that are maybe in the circle of influence. Are they pushing you closer towards God or away from God? And the reality is, maybe there are some people uh, that are there that they're not necessarily pushing you away from God, but you're not necessarily comfortable speaking about the stuff that God is doing in your life around them. I have, I have a friend. His name is Rudy, and he's uh, in Montreal. And we grew up. We were super tight. Him and his brother, and my brother and I. There was four of us. We're always together. We're super, super tight. Yet, the a point where God got a hold of me, so I started walking closer towards God, and He uh, took a different path, and He would start getting involved in the gang scene. And it would still, you know, he probably moved from my circle of intimacy to my circle of influence. We're still in touch and everything, but we weren't going in the same direction. And to make a long story short, he got knee-deep involved um, in the whole gang, in the gang scene. And at one point of his life, he went to play a basketball game in a part of town that he probably shouldn't have gone. And after the game, somebody literally pulled out all 12 gauge and shot him in the leg. The bullet came from the back of his leg, came out to the front. And it was a, a hole the size of my fist in his leg. And unfortunately, they had to amputate his leg. And up until this day, Rudy right now has uh, an amputated leg. See, we're going uh, separate directions and I needed to surround myself with people who would push me towards God. And let me ask you this, are you the friend that the friend you're looking, that the friend you're looking for is looking for? Are you willing to do anything that it takes to push one another towards God? Because when that doesn't happen, it's, it's sad to see what happens when you don't have those people. The Bible talks about how Moses had Aaron, um, Josh had Caleb. I mean, they all, the Bible is full of examples of people who would push one another towards God. Yet, when, and when that doesn't happen, when it's not there, you have somebody like the Samson who would fail miserably. Are you the friend that the friend you're looking for is looking for? Well, are you willing to do everything that you can to push one another towards God? Jonathan not only pushed David towards God, but the Bible says that he protected him. He protected him. I mean, at, at this point in his life, David was probably all over the place emotionally. I mean, he was probably paranoid. He probably didn't know who he could trust. He was probably uh, just on his guard, on the edge. And I was leading a group of stingy There was a gentleman that joined us uh, that day who was much older than our group. But he asked if he could join. I'm like, yeah, sure, join our group. And when I asked him, has any of you uh, ever been threatened? Have you ever been in your life? And he put his hand up. And I asked, you were really sure? He's like, yeah. He's like, he used to be involved in, in sketchy business. And at one point, somebody literally pulled a gun and pointed to his head. And he was begging this guy not to shoot him. And although David didn't have a gun pointed at his head, this is probably how he felt. And it's in that context that uh, Jonathan came and he offered him emotional protection. He offered him emotional protection. He says, do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. Don't be afraid. I know my dad is looking for you, and I know where you are, but I won't tell him. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Not only did he offer him emotional protection, but he offered him spiritual protection. He said to him, you shall be king. Remember when we were sharing uh, what God was doing in our lives? And he told me that, Sem- that Samuel came and anointed you and He said you would be king. Let me remind you, you shall be king. It doesn't feel like it right now. You're in this desert place right now. But you shall be king. And I will be next to you. See what, what, what Jonathan is doing here? He's putting himself in second place. He's uh, sacrificing himself for the sake of Jonathan. See, he's saying, I am committed to make you all that God has made you to be, even that that means me being in second place. Because reality he is, if Saul if King Saul killed David, guess who would be the king? Jonathan. He had everything to gain by making sure that David was gone. That being said, it's like, no, no, I will sacrifice myself. I will come second because I want to make sure that you are all that God has made you to be. I see that God's hands upon you and I will do everything I can to make sure to protect you and to make sure that you are all that God has made you to be. Let me ask you this. Are you the friend that the friend you're looking for is looking for? Are you willing to protect your friends at all costs? Even that means speaking the truth to them. Because this is what Jonathan did. He protected David by speaking the truth in love. Jonathan protected David by speaking truth in David's circumstance, in love. See, although this may not have been the case for Jonathan and David, we need to protect um, our people, people around us, from anything that may get in the way from from who God has made them to be and by speaking the truth in love. And sometimes that's uncomfortable. right? Who likes to go out and and speak to them and say, you know what, I know that you're uh, not... Who likes to do that? It's fairly uncomfortable. I'd like to invite my friend, Orion. Who will share a story about when somebody cared for him enough to actually speak the truth and love to him.
1: Hello? It's on. Okay. Oh, this is bad timing. I have to go to the washroom. So if I, if I sound rushed, I have to, I have to go. Okay. OK, um, speaking the truth in love. <laughs> in a hurry. OK. Two huge problems for me in the past were one, my lack of gentleness, which caused me to be aggressive and judgmental when I approached my friends, and two, my failure to submit to authority, which made me think that I was always right, I was better than people, and I didn't need anybody to help me. These problems in my life made it difficult for me to have close friends. I was so quick to find flaws in people that I felt nobody was good enough to be my friend. For a long time as a Christian, I didn't even realize these were problems in my life. I needed someone to tell me these were problems. I was alone and separated from any Christian community that knew me and loved me enough to do this. God revealed these problems to me when I decided to take a step of faith. When I decided to go on the youth mission trip to Manitoulin Island this past summer. And this was definitely a step of faith for me because I was just coming into the Christian community and felt kind of shy and withdrawn. I was used to being alone and independent for so long that being a part of a team was a little uncomfortable for me. So throughout the mission trip, everybody had responsibilities. It was only fair to divide up all the work equally amongst everybody. I felt like these rules made sense in my mind, but my actions did not show it. When it was my turn to clean up or do the dishes, I agreed, but then I got distracted and I felt it was more important to play with the kids. Like I said before, I thought it was always right. So it didn't even occur to me that what I was doing was wrong. When I look back, my problems were hidden to me, but they were obvious to others. And Stevens was someone whom it was obvious to. And only now I understand the difficult position that he was in. On the one hand, he'd seen me doing something wrong, and had to tell me. But on the other hand, he couldn't just tell me straight up, Ryan, you're wrong. He had to tell me in a gentle and loving way, which would show me that he's my friend and he cares about me, but at the same time challenge me to look at myself and my problem. And Stevens did confront me. He did this one-on-one to be respectful, which immediately showed me he was doing it out of love, rather than approaching me in front of people, which would have embarrassed me and put me on the spot. And he had to be patient for this. I'm sure there were many times that he wanted to tell me I was doing something wrong. (laughs) There were many times (laughs) he me doing something wrong, having seen me disobey the rules again and again. But he knew that I would not receive it well, so as a friend, he waited until a better time. When he told me what he seen me doing was wrong, I, I had to agree with him because, well, he was right. He was speaking the truth on one hand, but equally important, he spoke it in love. During the rest of the mission trip, I was thinking about what he said while looking at my actions. It was now obvious to me that I really was doing something wrong. And like I said, before it was hidden to me, but now it was revealed to me. And knowing it was wrong convicted me to change for the better. God was trying to show me my problems for a long time but I just ignored him by isolating myself from any Christian community. Once I took that step of faith to enter into that community, God quickly spoke to me through others. God taught me to be gentle because others were gentle to me. And he's shown me how to be a friend because people are such good friends to me. He also taught me to respect authority because deep down authority is there for my good and my well-being. There are so many things I still need to learn But I have learned that I can't see my own problems. I'm blind to them. I need to surround myself with friends who will know me and love me enough to point out my problems. And these friends will speak the truth, which can be hard sometimes, but they'll be speaking in love, which is what a true friend will do. And I was reading through Proverbs during this time. And it's amazing how God will use the word just to emphasize what he's trying to show you. And what what kept coming up is this verse whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates correction is stupid. And I just love how blunt it put it, it put it, and it says I'm stupid, and, and I am stupid, I was stupid, and I still can be thinking that I could do it by myself, thinking that I don't need community. Thank you. You know,
0: there's so many things. I think this could be a sermon in and of itself. There's so many things we could like take out of what Ryan is just But this, and this is just quick. This is why we're so life group crazy around here. Because it's when you're in community that some of those things come out. Right? If you are a lone ranger Christian, these things do not happen. You know, how many of you have ever had, like, uh, you ever gone throughout your day, you know, you do your business and everything, and you happen to look yourself in the mirror, or worse, that you get when you happen to look yourself in the mirror, you realize you have, like, something in your, own, in your eyes, or, like, something you're bugging out of your nostrils, or something by the side of your mouth. Has any of that it happened to anybody? Alright, there's a few honest people in the house. Thank you. And reality is, like, when that happens, you're like, man, are you kidding me? Like, I was with, you know, John and Bill and whoever today, and they've seen me the whole day. Why didn't they tell me? You know, let me be straight up, guys. If you ever see me that has something in my eye, if I have a bad breath, as my fly is open, please tell me. Okay? Protect me. By speaking the truth in me. But more importantly, if you see me acting in a way that is not conformed to who God has made me to be, please protect me by speaking the truth and love. Please protect me by speaking the truth in love. The Bible is full of examples of, of how we should encourage one another, we should admonish one another, we should love one another. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 says, take care. Brothers, lest there be any, in any of you, any evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. So he starts by doing some stuff evil, the next thing you know, you're, you're falling away from the living God. But exhort, appeal, beg, urge, do anything you can, call, Facebook, email, do everything you can. We exhort one another. As long as it is called today, because I'm not sure if tomorrow is going to be that So, As long as it is called today, do it. That none of you may be hardened by deceitfulness of sin. Because as Ryan was saying, sin is deceitful, you can't see it yourself. Therefore, you need other brothers and sisters that will speak that truth to you. And I'm pretty sure when you look at yourself, there are probably people in your surroundings that are, that are about to make bad financial decisions. There are people in your surroundings that are uh, dating some people that you're just like, I don't think this is a good fit. There are people in your life that are making some decisions that you, you look at and you're like, I, I don't think this is right. And you're probably saying, you know what, it's not, I, I'm not the one, uh, I shouldn't be talking. No, 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 it is your business. We are part of a family. It is your business to speak to one another. It is my business. Not because I'm a pastor. It has nothing to do with it. If anything, often people look for in a pastor for what they should be looking for in a friend. See, when you go see a pastor, you expect him, him to, ha- to ask some hard questions, to challenge you on certain things. So why should you expect anything less from a friend? Why should you be anything less your friend? I like what Mark said. He says this, you know what, if you're close enough to notice it, chances are you're probably close enough to talk to a person about it. If you're close enough to notice it, you're probably close enough to talk to a person about it. And we live in an age where this kind of like protecting each other by speaking the truth in love is so uh, discouraged because we want to make each other feel good. In an article uh, of the of the Chronicle for Higher Education, William uh, Dereswick examines the new forms of friendship that have emerged um, out of Facebook. And this is what he says. We seem to be terribly fragile now. A friend fulfills her duty, we suppose, by taking our side, validating our feelings, supporting our decisions, helping us to feel good about ourselves. We tell white lies, make excuses when a friend does something wrong, do what we can to keep the boat steady. We're busy people and we want friendship's fun and friction-free. He concludes by saying friendship is devolving, in other words, from a relationship to a feeling. From something people share to something each of us hugs privately to ourselves in the loneliness of our electronic caves. And this is not the kind of friendship that God is calling us to have. We need to protect each other by speaking the truth in love. A few years ago, as I was going through my uh, share of like, health situation... Um, let for this where I was carrying a larger shadow that I needed to. And I remember one member of this congregation came up to my office once um, and we were doing a small chat. And he yes, he didn't stay for too long. And he's looking at me like, Stevens, you're getting fat. And I was like, oh, buh, buh, you're right. He was totally right. And I'm so glad that he spoke the truth to me. He knew that I could take, now I'm not saying that this is how we should confront one another, how house should take truth. Go gold people. And, no, no, no. There's a way of saying it. You know, maybe say, hey, I'm not sure, but this is what I'm sensing. You have to be gentle. But he knew I could handle it. So he spoke the truth. Boom. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Says, wounds from a friend uh, can be trusted, but the enemy multiply kisses. And that person definitely wasn't kissing at the time. See, are you willing to lose a friendship to protect your brother by speaking the truth? How many times do we see a somebody getting to a situation and you're looking like, ooh, this is not looking good. And then what happens like, man, I knew that was going to happen. No, but you didn't know jack. Because if you knew it, you would take the time, you would get boldness and speak the truth and love. You would protect one another. We would protect your brother to make sure that he is all that he can be by speaking the truth and love. Jonathan had to risk big at one point when he was uh, going to, to protect him. His own dad took a spear and threw it at him to kill him. He had to risk big. Yet he did it. Are you the friend that the friend you're looking for is looking for? Are you willing? I beg you. I urge you. I, 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 I appeal to you. Please, brothers and sisters, make the time to protect one another by speaking the truth in love. Lastly, not only did Jonathan protect David, but they made a promise. They made a promise. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And we we'll look at this idea of making a covenant. It's more than like a, a pinky swear. It's more than just giving each other, like you know, a nice little uh, uh, bracelet or whatever it is. So, you know, we're best friends forever and all that okay. kind. So no, it's, it's more than that. It's realizing that, hey, you know what? This amazing God that I'm serving has made a covenant with me, and before Him, I want a covenant with you. I want to make a deal. I want to make a promise with you that I want to live life with you. That I cannot be who God has called me to be unless you're there for me. And I have to say that usually, generally speaking, women have, have an up in this on men. Because men, like, we don't generally like this kind of, like, you know, feeling, to. we don't do this kind of stuff. That being said, it is out there. My buddy Rudy, when he got involved uh, in the gang, the first thing that they did is all the gang members assembled. They took him and they just lashed out on him. They beat him up like there was no, he was barely recognizable. But after that, they took him up and said, you know what? You see what just happened to you? From now on, we've got your back. And we want to make sure that this will never happen to you again. And it's sad to, to see that sometimes gang members have a better idea of, of covenant and of promise and of, of holding one another than we have in the family of God. See, they made a covenant. They recognize that they can be all that God has made them to be unless... They were speaking truth, unless they were there for one another. And actually, this was the last time that they saw each other. And what a perfect note to leave each other on. Say, hey, you know what, we've got to commit for life. In reality, sometimes we have friends for a season, and we have friends for, for a reason. We have friends that come into our lives, we, we have this deep friendship, and then, you know, um, it it's, takes some distance. And then we have some other people that will come in. When I look at my life, I came here about 10 years ago. And in my first year or so, I didn't have many friends. But then in my second year, God has blessed me with three amazing guys. Dave Cadnews, Yakobas, and Steve Hanna. And we got together every other week. We were speaking truth to one another. We were holding each other. We were asking each other hard questions. And then we kind of uh, took some time apart. Some of them moved and all kinds of stuff, and I became really tight with David. One of them, Dave can and we're super tight. Then we took them, uh, a little bit of our distance. And then uh, God has blessed me with two other people, um, Darren, Lindsay, and Nick Hill, and we're super tight. We're close at uh, doing life together, and we took, you know, our, our distance. And then God has blessed me with Mark, where we're super tight. We're still super tight. Um, and, and not too long But actually this week, for this message, Alan was praying for me. He's like, Stephen, I pray that God will send somebody like that for you again. And this week, I met Darren again. I was coming here on Wednesday. And we did some small talk. He asked me, like, what are you you speaking about? And I told him what I was speaking about. He said, you know what? I miss our time together. And right there and then, in the cafe downstairs, we said, okay, right? Let's do this. Let's commit to one another. Let's make a promise to do life with one another. And this is what Jonathan and David did. See, when when I look at... uh, this model of friendship, of somebody who is present, uh, somebody who pushed him towards God, somebody who, is protect, uh, who will protect us by speaking truth, and somebody uh, with whom we will make a promise. I'm like, man, this is such a beautiful model of friendship. And if I were to ask you, like, where do you need to step up your game? Which of those four areas do you need to step up your game? Do you need to be present for somebody? And within your circles of friends, how can you push each other towards God? Is there somebody that comes to mind that you need to protect them by speaking the truth in love? And there's somebody within that you need to make a covenant, a promise saying, you know what, let's do life together. Maybe it's somebody that's in your your circle of, of influence that you need to bring into your circle of intimacy. You know, and we, we could uh, come out of this morning and I could say, you know what, guys, let's all go with, let's be Jonathan's and rah, rah, and let's be great. But I, I don't think that's the essence of this message because I really believe that Jonathan was actually pointing to Jesus. Because this is exactly who Jesus is. Jesus is somebody who is a present. I mean, we're talking about this Advent season where we're celebrating his birth on earth. Jesus is somebody who, is all, who has always and will always be present. Jesus is somebody who pushed us towards God by establishing his kingdom here on earth. He reveals what God's look like. Jesus is somebody who protected us by speaking the truth. It's actually his truth that sets us free. And like Jonathan, he laid down his life so that we can be all that God has made us to be. And he's the one who spoke this amazing promise that he will be with us forever. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. See, as we move in this Advent season, this is the typical, typical time for us to get like uberly busy with Christmas parties and shopping and gifts and all that kind of stuff. And my prayer is more than giving each other a bunch of gifts this season, that we will give the gift of Jesus that is in each other to each other. And the reality is, it's only as we spend time with Jesus that we will able to be the friend that the friend we're looking for is looking for. Let us pray. Jesus, I, I thank you. I thank you that you're such an amazing God who's ever-present in our lives. And often, Lord, it's not easy uh, to be that. It's inconvenient to be uh, the kind of friendship that you've called us to be. Yet it's such a beautiful model of, of what you've done. And I pray Jesus, that you will give us the faith, that you will give us the boldness, that we will listen to your promptings when you're calling us to be the friend uh, that you, we're looking for, is looking for. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. this week was, was not an easy week for me because uh, early on in the week, I got a call from uh, one of my friends in my circle of intimacy, Wyclef. Um, and his sister passed away, suddenly passed away with cancer. And the funeral was yesterday. Um, and I really wanted to uh, be there. And I really says that God was telling me, you know what, Stevens? Um, Monday, uh, you have the day off. You go to Montreal Monday and spend the day with him. I said, this is what I'm planning to do uh, tomorrow. Go there and plan to spend the day with him and come back tomorrow night and i'm telling you this not to tell it hey look at no 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 but i'm guessing that the spirit of god is prompting you to do something and my prayer and my blessing for you is that you will listen to what the spirit is prompting you to do and that you will be obedient go in jesus name